Welcome to the menu bar. Welcome to the menu bar. We're back. We're back. Yay. Yay, 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 yay. Welcome to the menu bar. I'm your host, Zach Saichi. As always, if you'd like to help support the show, go over to patreon.com slash menu. Consider leaving a tip in the jar. Helps us keep the lights on around here. Thank you so much. This week, I'm joined by a previous guest, Marco Arment, creator of Overcast for iOS, for a candid discussion about the state of podcasting in 2018, why podcasts should and probably will remain decentralized, why podcasters should always be a little afraid, then we deviate a bit and get into the problems with AR and VR as whole products. And we wrap up with some advice for people who want to podcast. This is episode 26, We Should Always Be Afraid, with Marco Arment. That was weird. So Skype on my Mac did not show me that you messaged me back, but Skype on my phone did show me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked that Skype is uh, less than sensible or right well, well engineered right uh, <laughs> god it's this many 27 episodes i guess this is episode 27 uh this many episodes <laughs> in i still can't work skype like at all it's just a it's just a nightmare well it doesn't help that they change it like every three minutes to right. some somehow they make it even worse like every every version of skype you're like they can't possibly make this any worse i can't believe how bad it already is and then they they like have some new direction they take it in and it's like, okay, touche. You <laughs> called my bluff. You really did make it worse in a, in a brand new way I hadn't even considered. Exactly. It. I don't. I don't understand Skype. It's. Uh, I don't. I don't understand it at all. Um. So, uh, we have you back on the show. Um. And I'm minus a co-host. <laughs> is this an intentional thing, or is he just missing right now? So Andrew, he's currently on hiatus from the show, actually. Um, so he won't be around probably for the next few episodes. Uh, he's, he gets shit What happened? Nah, he's just he's kind of he's working on some things, working on some very cool things, and okay. uh, he'll you know he'll he'll probably be back. Um, you know, he's off getting drunk somewhere, probably you know still in Hawaii, or like took a secret <laughs> job at Apple, and now he can't podcast anymore. Um, you know, no comment. But so anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are you, what are you drinking tonight, Marco? Well, I decided to drink as much as you do, and I got a big glass of water. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna totally fuck this up. I'm breaking all the rules tonight, and I am having a Mike's Hard Lemonade because I uh, I actually I had my first like actual alcoholic drink while I was in Hawaii. Interesting. Yeah. So a- a- Andrew uh, took my alcohol virginity, so to speak. I hadn't had even a sip of, of alcohol since I was like eight years old. Um, and yeah, now, I, now I'm like, okay, oh, it's okay. I can have like one drink every so often. And I've decided I'm going to have like, you know, one drink before the show, just or during the show, I suppose. So I'm curious, you know, and I, I know you've, you've talked about it a little bit here before, but like, why the change? Like, you know, because, you know, you didn't drink before. Right. And even, which is funny because you have a show that is literally a, it kind of seems like you are drinking during the show by right. like the title and, and the subtitle of the show. Um, and you didn't drink before. And that's, there's lots of reasons for people not to drink. Absolutely. What made the change? You know, I started to realize that it was kind of a fear thing. Like, I, lately, uh, my whole shtick has just been overcoming little fears that I have. Um, and that's kind of what the Hawaii trip w- was for me. Um, I noticed in the last episode of ATP, you were talking about going to the beach. And um, 
it was cool because, you know, when I went to Hawaii, this is my first like real vacation, uh, like going somewhere real. Um, before I had like been to Vegas, uh, I'd kind of been around the country a little bit, but you know, I had never really taken a full on vacation. And like one of the big things was like overcoming my fear of swimming, uh, overcoming my fear of, um, you know, having even like a sip of alcohol, thinking I'll become an alcoholic like overnight, uh, <laughs> you know. And so I've just been kind of on a kick lately of trying to do things a little bit differently. Hmm, interesting. I mean, to be fair, one could argue that Mike's Hard Lemonade isn't really a drink. That is true. So you might be okay on that. But no, that, that's, you know, seriously, like that, that actually, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, I've been, I've been doing a few of those things myself, as I mentioned in the show, but like, you know, it's, uh, I, I think you're doing it to a different level and, and that's commendable because that's not easy and, you no. know, to, to face like long held beliefs or fears, uh, is really not easy. No, absolutely. And, you know, there's just been a lot kind of going on in my life, uh, kind of behind the scenes. And um, I'm just kind of going through and like reassessing some of this dumb stuff that like, you know, probably uh, emotions attached to memories from when I was a little kid, uh, all sorts of stuff. Right. And I'm just kind of going through these things one by one and just trying to overcome them. Like the swimming thing was huge. You know, Andrew finally got me to go in the damn water. Um, I had this, you know, irrational fear of being <laughs> submerged in water uh, all my life. I, I, uh, I had almost drowned um, in a river near my house, uh, m- like when I was very, very little. I might have been like six. Um, and ever since then, I just, I never wanted to go in the water. Um, and so Andrew, Andrew got me to do it. Uh, kicking and screaming while, while I was in Hawaii. He's like, you got to do it. You got to go in the water. You're in Hawaii. You're at the beach. And mind you, I'm someone who hates the beach. I, you know, I, <laughs> I don't like all of this is totally new for me. Um, and I was I was frightened of going on this trip, to be honest. Um, but it was super cool. I just kind of went into the whole thing with like a totally open mind. And I'm ready to sort of do anything. And um, it turns out that if you go in the water and just don't fight the, fight the water, that you will float, right? <laughs> like, just realizing that was a huge thing. Like, it's kind of embarrassing, right? But at the same time, I talk to people, and uh, it turns out that I'm not unique necessarily in this. No, I mean, I, I, I mentioned on, the, on ATP, like, I can barely swim. And right. I, so I, I typically don't, you know, like, I... Part of it is fear. Part of it is mostly, you know, unfamiliarity. Um, right. Uh, it's probably at this point, it's probably mostly fear because it's like it's been so long since yeah. I've actually like put my head underwater. Like that, it's been probably fifteen years, something like that. Like in that ballpark. So like it's and even back then, I didn't do it often because you know I was usually not doing it intentionally. <laughs> right. Uh, and so, you know, so I have a lot of that too, and I I plan to tackle that actually, you know, in the in the coming year or so. Uh, but. I, so I'm curious, like, you know, so once once you got accustomed to it on, like, this one trip, do you feel like you're, like, you're good with it now? Yeah, it's it's pretty bizarre. Um, I, I feel like I, you know, I won't have that fear going forward. You know, I sort of did enough while I was enough, like, swimming and stuff while I was in Hawaii that um, it's not really there anymore. All that anxiety and all that stuff is just kind of gone. That's great. Yeah, no, it's it was a it was a super cool trip. I won't get into all the details of things that happened on this trip. It was a pretty <laughs> it was a pretty bonkers trip, but uh, yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of like a life 
changing, you know, awakening moment in a lot of ways. Well, that's good. I, I, I was, I was not expecting our conversation to be anywhere near the level of sophistication of your previous two guests. <laughs> uh, but this isn't, this isn't bad. Like, no, I do yeah. think it's funny. Like, you know, you have like. You have like Rob Sheridan, right? And then you have, then you have, you have this amazing conversation about like music and art, and then you have this amazing conversation about theology and philosophy and everything, and then you got me here to talk about Apple bullshit. I guess, like I, <laughs> well, actually, my plan, my plan here is, I feel like so we had a good conversation the last time you were on the show, but I don't feel like we had a like it wasn't like a super important conversation you know what i mean i feel i feel i feel like we 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 can do better and that's why i have you back on the show tonight um all right that works yeah and uh i actually so i kind of want to talk to you about the podcast landscape at large you know and something that you are on twitter um you know talking about quite a bit and you've talked about it on atp is like sort of you know decentralized podcast versus centralized you know podcast and like why you you believe that podcasts should remain kind of in the wild west um, and how there are a lot of entities out there that would see fit to uh, you know basically put an end to all of that um, so let's start there like why why do you believe that podcast should remain uh, decentralized. Well, I think what we've what we've seen with the web, and you know, like if if you look at like setting the, setting the website for a second, if you look at pure capitalism as like an economic structure, pure capitalism sounds like a reasonable idea at, at a surface level until you see that actually in practice there are, there are market effects that happen that, if left unchecked, result in like incredible concentration of power and and distribution and monopoly and everything else and so there's there's a lot of problems with pure capitalism that like we need you know different kinds of checks and balances to keep the system functioning healthily the web and technology basically it, it has very little chance for any kind of regulation or, or anything like that to be implemented on it like there, like the way that we can like prevent monopolies in capitalism and stuff, although we're not doing a very good job of that. But the way that we historically maybe tried to do that better, uh, there were certain you know like mechanisms the government could use that just don't apply to the web. And so, what I think happens is is like the web and and just you know modern technology as a whole enables a degree of consolidation of power and distribution and a, a degree of monopoly power that is bigger than any government could ever, you know, try to regulate in its own country and it's worldwide. There's there's one internet and it has these massive power brokers. And the structure of the internet I think encourages that or, or maybe maybe it doesn't discourage it or doesn't hinder it at all. And like, it, it's just it moves way too fast, right? Like there's just no no way any government could keep up with it. Right, and so it moves really fast, and it enables consolidation of power on a global level quickly right? and, and broadly. And so you have this massive effect of once something on the internet kind of starts getting locked down, it tends not to move the other way. You have, like, once something that was previously open starts starts having some like single party have massive consolidated power over it that tends to not let go right you know people tend and i think actually i think we talked about this last time i was on the show like people people often will say like oh well you know facebook replaced myspace yeah that was like 15 years ago what has replaced it since then 
yeah. nothing, right? Like, like just like you know, Google replaced a whole bunch of search engines in the late '90s. That was 20 years ago. What mm. has replaced Google? Nothing. You know, eBay replaced auction sites. What has replaced eBay? I mean, to some degree, like good taste, but for the most part, nothing. Yeah. So, like, there's there these these massive conglomerates of power. Once they get in power, they tend to hold it. So right now, you look at like you know, look at the text landscape as I often you know, refer to it. The text landscape is dominated by social gatekeepers. And there's really only one that matters, and it's Facebook. Twitter tries to matter in this way, but mostly doesn't. For the most part, text and the business of publishing text on the web, which is increasingly the business of publishing text anywhere, is controlled almost 100% really by Facebook because Facebook controls so much of the traffic. They have the proprietary distribution platform of their network, which is where people go to browse crap and... So many people browse crap through that, that if you're publishing articles somewhere that is not easily shareable on Facebook or that Facebook has decided not to make visible to people for various reasons, you're basically invisible. Like, it's really hard to sustain a business for most types of publications if they don't play ball with Facebook or, or if Facebook, like, you know, devalues them by whatever means. See, it's the exact same thing now with YouTube. YouTube controls video, period. Like, there's there's like the big networks on TV, they still have decent distribution, but like for the most part if you if you are if you're like an individual person trying to get in the video business, trying to publish video for yourself for profit whatever else. Um and also increasingly music, which is scary. Yeah. YouTube has so much power. Like it's the same thing like you basically can't go like your business is 100% dependent on you getting in YouTube's good graces, so publishing on YouTube, staying relevant to YouTube's algorithm, staying listed on YouTube, staying allowed to be... Like, YouTube has so much power over video that, again, you have to play ball with YouTube if you're making video. Podcasts have never had that. Like, to a very small degree, Apple kind of played a role like that, but it was to such a small degree that... They never really exercised much control or restriction over. It. They were basically basically just running like the biggest directory and the biggest player app. Yep. But they but they were so they've been so benevolent about it and and they've been so relatively hands off with how they run it that it they really haven't been much of a force of good or evil. Just very neutral. Like here's a big directory. All the apps can scrape it and we'll pretend like we don't do it and they'll pretend like they don't see it and everything will be fine. You know, and that's largely how they've operated for, I mean, geez, how long has Apple Podcasts been out? Like 15 years? So besides Apple, there is no other force in podcasting that we as podcasters have to cooperate with for our business to succeed at all or that we that we fully depend on for 90% of our traffic. Like that just doesn't exist in podcasting. And you can see like for a while blogs and, and text didn't have – that to a large degree i mean for a little while google was kind of that but like for for the most part for like the mid like 2000 to 2010 generation or decade like for that section where like blogs were really in their heyday before facebook really took over like all the all the traffic in that time it was blogs were kind of like what podcasts have now where like everyone kind of maintained their own subscriptions and browser bookmarks or news readers or whatever else. And they, they went to each site and each site had a lot more control over its own destiny and and its own monetization and its own formats and everything else. 
and now text has you know eroded back to facebook being horrible i we are still in that good side of podcasting yeah and i i don't know if it's inevitable that it will that it will inevitably lose this battle and become locked down i do know that the entire tech business is built on businesses getting very very big and profitable by locking down distribution for something that people like and so because podcasting is doing well now and is and is booming now there are a lot of companies trying to lock it down for themselves because that's been proven to be a huge opportunity for how to make a a good tech business that makes a lot of money Totally. And so there's there's a whole lot of people trying, but but we I, we have so far resisted it for lots of different reasons, uh, and I think I think podcasting is going to prove especially resilient towards it, towards resisting that. But I I don't know if we will win that battle long term. It's interesting. I used to make the the case that thinking from Apple's perspective, uh, that they almost should lock it down, right? Because it would be such a key advantage for them, right? Because they uh, they have they have the biggest directory already. Um, and if you think down the line, you think about the pro- kind of products that they're going to be making over time. Whether we're talking about AirPods, the watch, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Eventually, maybe someday, uh, but not really. My hopes aren't that high. Um, but you know, a car, right? Um, you know, own, owning, like they have to have this interesting opportunity of being able to own the future of radio, right? Like in, in a very big way. So I used to make the case that actually Apple should, uh, you know, realize the amount of power and control they could have here. Um, just from a raw sort of like business, you know, analysis perspective, that it would not be the dumbest thing on the planet for them to attempt to sort of like lock this down, uh, make it even easier, you know, quote unquote, for people to be able to distribute their podcasts um, and exert a little bit more control over the space. But it is interesting that they have up to this point chosen not to do that. And I really wonder why, like, what is the, is it because, you know, there are people there who understand the, the dynamics of everything that you just talked about and they actually really want it to remain open? Um, have they just like not gotten around to it? They've bought, a, you know, a several companies. I can't remember the names of any of them, but you know, companies in the podcast space um, that kind of made me think for a little while. Like, oh shit, they're they're about to lock this stuff down, and they're about to you know do some stuff here. But so far, they haven't. Um, so, what do you think? Do you think that they are just benevolent, and or do you think they just haven't gotten around to it yet? I think it's probably influences from both. I mean. To a large degree, like, you know, like, I, I know I've met a few of the people on the Apple podcast team, and they seem like they're really good people, and they seem like they have they have similar views uh, to to us on, like, you know, the fact that this is better off remaining the way it is. Yeah. Um, but also, it's, it's hard to look at podcasts as being a relevant area where Apple really needs to spend a lot of effort. Well, same with TV. <laughs> well, but TV's way bigger, though. I mean... Like podcasts, I, I think the reason why podcasting has not gotten locked down so far by Apple is because it was just too small for the you know the higher ups to probably prioritize over sure. bigger business opportunities and, and bigger business units. You know, podcasting is is 
is very small to Apple, but Apple is very big to podcasting. Right. But one can imagine in a scenario, like if they eventually make a car, wow, it'd be super useful to own the entire radio stack, right? Yeah, but they're, they're always going to be like, you know, radio has, you know, two very different types. You know, there's talk radio, which is podcasts, and then there's music. And, and right. while there are music podcasts, that's not a big thing. Like, that's not, that's not a, a dominant, you know, there's, there's video podcasts too, but that, those, aren't, those aren't really a big thing either. I mean, they do have a 24-7 uh, radio station for some reason. <laughs> right, and a giant music service. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, they have all the pieces. If they wanted to go down that road, like, they definitely could. I think what we're seeing is Apple, I mean, first of all, like, you could make the argument now that, you know, if Apple wanted to lock down podcasting, the time to do that was, like, you know, 2008, <laughs> and they didn't. Uh, and and now, each year that, that goes by, Apple has less and less market share of the podcast listening market. Yeah. So, it, right now, they're already down to something like 60%, uh, and... While sixty percent is massive, and the next biggest is something like twelve percent, yeah, uh, that that's sixty percent is not enough that you can lock it down, and to to the exclusion of everybody else, especially because like Apple doesn't have like an Android app and stuff like that. So and you know Apple doesn't have ways to play it on other platforms. So like, but they could, they could if they decided one day, like you know, uh, let's just own radio, the whole thing. You know, they they could get they could aggressively do that, and I and I can even think of reasons why why they might. Um, so it's, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, I I think ultimately though, like look at a more recent example, which is much smaller but but relevant. Look at CarPlay apps. Mm. You know, CarPlay it, to to my shock. You know, so like before so before I was twelve, CarPlay apps were Apple only. Unless you bugged them for a special contract and a special entitlement that would allow you to make an audio app. And the audio apps, third-party audio apps that work with CarPlay, all you do is provide basically a directory tree. Like you provide a tree of content and it calls you to say, all right, what's item, you know, at index 0, 1, you know, and you give it that item. And then you say this item is a playable item or this item is a section to another item or, you know, like whatever. And so, like, you're you're just giving it, like, lists of content. And it's telling you, okay, the user press play, the user press skip, you know, whatever. And so you have very little control over that as the app. So you, basically Apple locked, locked that down severely. And there's, like, there's almost nothing you can do as a CarPlay audio app. Yeah. Much to everyone's surprise, this summer and, and into iOS 12 they let third-party navigation apps into CarPlay, mm. which can do way more, which is a way bigger deal. And Apple has its own Maps app that they are apparently working very hard on and investing very heavily into, and they want to own that space. Yep. And yet, they are allowing like Waze and Google Maps to make CarPlay apps now. That, to me, was, first of all, very good news, because I like Waze a lot, even though I don't have a CarPlay car yet, but <laughs> I like Waze a lot. But also, like... I, that was very surprising to me because this, this was an area that Apple didn't really need to open up to third parties. They really could have just kept saying, no, look, if you're going to use CarPlay, you're going to use Apple Maps. And they could use that to keep boosting Apple Maps. Totally. And and they didn't. Instead, they, they recognized maybe because of pragmatism that, you know what, actually, we are better off as the platform owner, the platform being CarPlay in this case, we are better off if the best apps can be on CarPlay for it, for this essential need of navigation, even if it isn't our app. Right. And I think that's how they feel about podcasting. And, and they've never come out and said it, but, like, you know, you look at things like 
how this summer, um, you know, Apple finally added their own podcast app to the Apple Watch, which was never there before. Yeah. And before this version of, of watchOS, not only was Apple's app not there, but third-party apps were basically impossible to make. Like, it, it was really hard to make a good Apple Watch app because of the huge limitations in the, in the Apple Watch uh, SDK. And now, in the same release that Apple added their own podcast app, they also fixed the API and added stuff such that it became possible for third parties to make their own good Apple Watch podcast apps as well. Yeah. So it, it seems like, based on their recent actions, it seems like Apple is really taking a more open view of, of like allowing competitive apps to also play in the same field. Now, granted, Apple still runs a lot of a lot of the rules. Apple's apps can sometimes do things that podcast or that third-party versions of the same thing can't, or they have special privileges in the system. They still control the watch faces. <laughs> yeah, they still control the watch faces, uh, things like that. But they didn't lock us out. They could have. Like there was the APIs they added in in WatchOS five for for audio stuff. Like there's pretty much no other use for them except people building podcast apps. And they added these APIs anyway. They didn't need to. Their app probably doesn't use them because because the way WatchOS works, they don't use all their own stuff. Uh, so Apple didn't need to do this, and they did. Just And, and again, CarPlay, third-party navigation apps, they didn't need to do that. CarPlay was doing great. CarPlay is taking over the world. Like Almost every car maker these days includes at least CarPlay, if not CarPlay and Android Auto, in all their new cars now. Like It's, it's so widespread that like they they basically won that already so they didn't right. need to open that up but they but they did so maybe they've just calculated that they're better off having all the apps running on their platform on their hardware than excluding everyone else for smaller businesses like navigation or podcasts that they that are not critical to apple to to totally outright own I mean, and another another side of this whole uh, you know landscape of podcasting thing is, I don't know. It, it on on one hand, I totally agree with you, but then on the other hand, I look at things that Apple is doing with, say, podcast analytics, right? And this is something that's kind of happening all over the the, the podcast market is that the analytics are getting better. Um, how do you think? You know, analytics getting a little bit more microscopic in, say, like, you know, looking at how listeners are actually, you know, whether or not they're, you know, pressing stop five minutes in or or whatever. Because, you know, previously this stuff was all kind of just based on download numbers, right? Um, and that's kind of changing. Do you see that affecting the podcast landscape in a negative or positive ways? I think this is one of, one of the many types of things where there is not one podcast landscape to talk about where this is relevant. Yeah. You know, like there are, there's basically like two very, very different worlds of podcasting. There's the, the big, basically big podcasting. Like there's like the, you know, the, the, the handful of, you know, the, the few, few hundred to few thousand, like, like top, top, top shows from big producers that are running on you know running from big businesses with big staffs and highly produced and big budgets and everything else and then there's stuff like what you and i do which is like a couple of people talking about things you know (laughs) you know it's usually usually a staff of just the hosts and you know a much smaller budget maybe sponsored maybe not sponsored you know like it you know maybe maybe supported by patreon maybe not supported by anything maybe people just do it for the love of it that world of podcasting is almost a completely different medium 
from from the big shows like the big shows operate in a way that they they like quote need <laughs> i've used massive finger quotes there mm-hmm. they need very different things than what you and i need or what somebody like five by five or relay you know like smaller networks and smaller shows which can st- which are still are big enough to be businesses on their own you know like it's not it's not that we're not making money it's not that we're not businesses we're just a totally different size of business like atp does not have a staff of 100 people like we we can't afford a staff of 100 people but we make a nice living for kind of three and a half people you know like and you know relay is a great network where i have i have shows and i have friends and relay makes good money f- to support its small staff and and you know team of hosts and it does but it's not gonna again it they also don't have like 100 full-time employees like in in a big studio in la you know shoot like spending 10 million dollars an episode to make a to make a show like totally that's not the style of podcasting that we do and yet it's given the same term you can play them in the same apps <laughs> like, <laughs> it's kind of like you know video is actually you know, there's a lot of parallels to video and text like you look at like stuff on youtube that is produced by like the professional channels that, that again they have staffs they have bigger budgets they have much higher production values they have you know m- writing everything in advance and everything and then you have other shows on youtube that are just like people talking into a camera kind of you know off the cuff and doing one one big take and saying all right peace out and then that's it they're done and it's a very different it, it, it's almost a different medium, you know? And so anyway, I see what, what the big podcasters are doing as relevant to me in the sense that we're all in the same apps. We're all being played by the same people. We're all competing for attention in the same app. Uh, but, and unfortunately we all are going for the same sponsors. Yeah. And so the area in which I'm concerned is not if, you know, slate is able to track someone's download and and insert a a local ad that creeps them out because it's from like a local car dealership (laughs) because it looked at their ip and said oh you live in columbus ohio so we're going to give you this car (laughs) this car dealer ad from columbus ohio right and and which by the way anybody listening who does that people hate that they they know it's creepy and they hate it anyway so and i know because they sometimes email me as the maker of the podcast app saying how did you know where I was to insert this ad? I'm like, it wasn't me. I promise. Here's how this works. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of my favorite things about doing this show is that we get to find companies who are out there making people's lives easier. And Simple Contacts is one of those companies. If you wear contacts, you know how annoying it is to renew your prescription every year just to be able to buy more contacts. Simple Contacts changes all of that. And they're about to save you a lot of time. How? Well, using your phone or your computer, you can take the Simple Contacts vision test in just five minutes from anywhere. Seriously, that easy. No more appointments, no more waiting rooms, and no more overpaying. A real doctor reviews your test in 24 hours and bam, your brand of lenses are on their way to your door. And if you have an unexpired prescription, just upload a photo or your doctor's info and order your lenses in minutes for a great price. Simple Contacts will do all of the hard work for you. When I say lenses, I mean every brand of lenses and their pricing is unbeatable. The prescription price is just $20. The lens pricing is out of this world and the shipping, free. And here's where it gets seriously awesome for you. As a menu bar listener, you're gonna get $20 off your first order. 
All you need to do to get in on this is head to simplecontacts.com slash menu or use your special code menu at checkout. Now, I need to mention that this isn't a replacement for your periodic health exam. You're going to need those occasionally, but Simple Contacts is the most convenient way to renew a prescription or reorder your contacts if your vision hasn't changed. Again, check out Simple Contacts and get $20 off by going to simplecontacts.com slash menu or again, enter our special code menu at checkout. Give it a try. Thank me later. And thank you to Simple Contacts for being a supporter of our show this week. All right, back to the show. But anyway, uh, I think, you know, what the big podcasters do only affects me in the sense that if sponsors come to expect a certain level of analytics or data or granularity or, or targeting that shows like mine can't provide, then it might be hard for me to get sponsors. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of taken steps in that direction, right? Because previously, it used to be back in the olden days of podcasting that you could kind of just go to companies and work out, you know, deals on a one-on-one basis with companies. And these days, you kind of need like an intermediary. You need someone to to go and, uh, you know, handle all that stuff for you. And sponsors, by and large, won't even talk to you unless you have that, right? So we're kind of heading in that direction which is why i thought it would be interesting to have this conversation with you yeah i mean like getting sponsorships for podcasts is getting increasingly difficult because as the business has grown we basically what what has happened is like you know when when somebody say squarespace although actually they're pretty easy to deal with still but just for as an example somebody like Squarespace, who who you've heard on every podcast you've ever listened to they think they run tons of ads right if somebody like that is is you know Five years ago, ten years ago, buying a handful of ads on a handful of you know big shows, that's something that one person can do with all the individual podcast producers, and that's pretty much fine. But as podcasting has grown, and they're, they're, they start looking at like spend uh, like you know like million dollar ad budgets for stuff for you know shows uh, advertising across like you know a thousand different podcasts, it becomes very compelling for the big advertisers like that to use ad agencies instead to manage it for them. And ad agencies, of course, first of all, they insert themselves and they make everything worse uh, in the sense that they, they take some of the money, so you, so you make less or the pit sponsor pays more. Uh, they delay everything because you don't get paid until they get paid and then they eventually pay you. So it's common to not get paid for like six months after running an ad, it, sometimes even more than that. Sometimes yeah. they just fall apart before they pay you and you just don't get paid like the rate of non-payment of podcast ads or late payment would probably shock a lot of podcast listeners right and these factors are only getting worse and ad ad agencies also of course have their own requirements you know when when you're dealing with an agency you you are one step removed from the actual sponsor and so the agency is able to kind of play bad cop a lot and so they're much more strict about like certain terms and and certain ways they want things done and they're able to find loopholes and exploit them and say you didn't do this right i i, I hate i hate to i'm not going to throw anybody under the bus but we recently had to do an ad for free mm-hmm. which means that the ad we did we got paid zero for after the fact because i i released the show like the night of the last day of a month mm. instead of the the next morning which is the first day of the next month right because the agency said well that's the wrong month you did you released the show in the wrong month so <laughs> we need a free ad to make up for it yep and of course and it's it's kind of like 
soccer like injuries like it's all drama so that they can get free ads out of us right like that's really what this is like so that way they can go to their client and say look we got a free ad for you like no one is that no one is that offended at all this except me <laughs> but mm. like everyone everyone else is like oh it's fine it's fine you know we just this is the contract you owe us a free ad but and i'm just like you gotta be kidding me you know totally but, but like so you know as the business gets bigger and you have big business bs that comes along with it it gets increasingly harder and harder to sell sponsorships and and to make that a reasonable thing and if you do sell sponsorships now you have to outsource it because to deal with their outsource complexity you generally need your own outsource complexity so like right. you know i used to sell ads directly now i can't handle that workload so now we we have our own salesperson on our end and then and she has to deal with the salespeople on everyone else's end and so it's like there's all these you know people in the middle and I, I don't like how that's going, but I, I think it's probably an inevitable part of this business getting bigger. And, yeah. And just everyone's, you know, podcast budget's getting bigger, podcasts are becoming more important. It's it's a good problem to have that lots of sponsors want to advertise on lots of big podcasts, uh, but it, it does start to make it difficult for smaller players when the scale of all that increases complexity for us and make it so that we don't get paid for a year right i mean it makes sense like i mean from a from a sponsor perspective it's a hell of a lot easier to deal with these ad agencies who handle you know hundreds or thousands of shows as opposed to you know having to deal with one-on-one um conversations with random people and if and if you're talking about smaller shows well it's like podcasting is getting so much bigger you don't really have to deal with the smaller shows anymore you don't really need to do that it might be lucrative but yeah it's not really worth it there's so many big podcasts out there we can kind of sponsor you know the bigger guys and you know it, it makes sense that this is happening but i guess i'm wondering you know how quickly do you think podcast as a medium you know is growing up in terms of you know content maturity just general growth you know like at at what point you know do you think that we should be afraid <laughs> i suppose i think to some degree we should always be afraid sure like yeah. for for podcasting to remain as open and free and healthy as it is today we have to always act like it's under attack because it pretty much always is under attack mm. so like it's it, it's always at risk of both itself ruining itself which is like if it just gets so big uh, that like you know big producers start doing crazy things that kind of collapse the medium around them uh that's a problem for us even even like even for somebody like me like i don't listen to any of those major shows like any of like the the big podcasts that like quote everyone listens to i don't listen to any of them right because one of the great things about the medium is that there's a whole bunch of shows of pretty much every special interest that you might have. And, uh, you know, like like the way I like to put this is, like, I don't have time for shows that I merely like when mm. there's so many shows that I love. Absolutely. You know, there's so many shows that are just way more interesting to me than the big budget, you know, popular shows because they, they're targeting a more general audience. And I can find stuff that is that really nails my interests and has people that I like and hosts I know and things like that, like... That's something that, that that has always made this medium so wonderful, and and what blogs used to have, you know, in their heyday too, and with, which I hope they someday might still have again. Uh, but it's also so, so 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 to some degree, whatever the big podcasts do, 
actually doesn't impact people like me that much because you know the shows i listen to like on on relay or the menu bar like these shows like you can keep producing it and publishing it on a blog like on, on a website and with an rss feed and apps like mine can still play it and download it directly from that and so like to some degree we're kind of isolated like we or we're insulated rather from from bad effects in the sense that like whatever like the big podcasters do like suppose every like you know major you know slate this american live like you know public radio style producer like imagine if they all just like ascended into space one day and they went to their own platform with their own lockdown app that their shows would only play in that app and they took all the big sponsors with them right that that's kind of like worst case that's like nuclear scenario like they just pick up and leave and they take all those they take all the sponsors with them and they take all the listeners with them who want to listen to those shows well guess what we still have a podcast that we can put out ourselves on our own site and people will still be able to play it in apps like mine right and we would we might lose people like it would hurt but it wouldn't necessarily kill it right so i think to some degree we're okay and and i mentioned earlier like we we have proven as a medium to be fairly resilient towards these kind of efforts so far uh for instance there are pay podcast platforms out there where like you pay you have to pay to get certain podcast content largely people don't like that very much because people really don't like having multiple different apps to you know where they have to play their shows like most podcast listeners want to play podcasts in one app they want to play all their shows in one app totally yeah and so no one wants like oh i have to download the app for this producer to play their premium show and it's you know the app for this producer and then pay them this dollar a month to you know play their premium show those those exist and those will always exist as kind of like side uh, you know adjacent businesses to the podcast business but people hate that so much that I don't see them ever really taking off. Well, I mean, the thing is that people are already paying. I mean, they're already paying for Hulu. They're already paying for Netflix, right? And it's hard to make the leap like, oh, I'm going to also pay for, you know, essentially you know, pre-recorded radio. It, it's quite a quite a big ask, I think. Well, and 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 I think like the TV apps are a great example of this. The situation with apps on TV and apps for, for like various big publisher video content is a terrible situation like it sucks having to watch tv having try to watch a tv show now on like an ipad or an apple tv or something and okay which app do i have to go to i have to go i have to launch the abc app to watch this show but i have to launch hulu to watch this show and it's like it's such a mess it's almost a situation where we're praying for like centralization you know what i mean yeah exactly Like, like every app is like is different and they're all terrible in their own unique ways. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and so you have to tolerate all these horrible proprietary apps to get like one or two shows in each one because that's what you actually want. No one likes that. It's terrible. Right. <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, podcasting has pretty well resisted that so far. I don't know if it will be able to forever, but because it's done so well so far, I think we'll mostly be okay. And and again, even even if any of these like pay podcast platforms take off. I think so many people want so strongly to listen to all their podcasts in the same app that I think that'll be a really strong, like resistive force against that kind of thing ever really replacing what we have. Yeah. I mean, I guess the only, the only thing to be afraid of, I think would be if, if Apple and, and others, um, you know, eventually made it to where you can't just 
you know, upload your podcast into their directory, right? If it ever becomes a situation where they decide to exert more control. But so far, it's it's looking pretty good. Like, even as uh, podcast is, podcasting as a, media has, as a medium has grown, and even as there's been these, you know, big changes behind the scenes as far as how sponsorship relationships go, um, it's still pretty much kind of the same. You know, it, it's it's a little more like you might need to hit bigger numbers if you want to, uh, you know, make any money. But, you know, it's 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 pretty good. I feel like the it's it. I guess podcasting never had a YouTube. Right. It, it's exactly. never been centralized in that way. And it's always been an open directory type situation, you know, and. You know, the, the the big moment when blogs started really getting hit was when Google Reader went away. And I almost feel like the you know, the Apple Podcast directory is sort of like the the Google Reader of, of podcasts, right? Um, but unlike Google Reader, you know, where Google kind of had every incentive to get rid of it, I see no incentive for for Apple to uh, you know, lock it down or get rid of it or anything like that. Yeah, I think, you know, podcasting I mean, so so one of the attacks on podcasting that is continuing that probably is is a pretty big risk is uh, the large other service that is that is getting into podcasting as a thing to provide free content. This is things like Spotify mm. uh, and and to, to some degree Google Play Music, but that's mostly failed because no one uses it. But Spotify is a big one. Spotify basically launched podcast support not that long ago and is already the number two player in the world. They have like fifteen percent market share. Right. And that that was they got that alarmingly quickly. That's a little scary. And what's interesting about Spotify is that it's not a podcast app. Like it doesn't work on the open ecosystem of podcasts the way you know my app and Apple's app do. Spotify, you know, like Stitcher and like Google Play Music, uh, or like no, Stitcher actually doesn't do this anymore. But like old Stitcher and Google Play, uh, it maintains its own directory, which I can see the argument there for business reasons. But it also then has its own distribution mechanism. It has its own special feeds that you have to give it. You have to sign up to be part of it. You have to give them a whole bunch of rights to to have your stuff in there. And then they actually will download your files from your server and reserve them to all of their members. So like mm. you aren't you aren't getting download stats. You are giving up a whole lot of control there. It's it's not as egregious as like Stitcher used to be, but it's it's not good. Totally. So that is that is like a a co-opting like of of the podcast ecosystem into their own lockdown thing. That's not great. Yeah. You know, and and if that would ever get so big that you that you have to be in it to have a good to have a successful podcast rather, uh that could be very bad. Like if you know right now they have 15% market share and that isn't across all demographics. Like like if you were on a tech show like I I do and like you used to uh (laughs) then then like you know it's it's gonna be a very small part of your audience so you can Mm. you can safely not be on spotify today right Uh, but if you run a more general interest a general interest show like some of the big producers do then you are giving up a lot of market share if you don't go to spotify and if you don't therefore agree to their terms sign up for their platform submit your show in the first place get accepted that like it's very much like this this gatekeeper model there that you are if you're a big producer you're pretty much forced into complying with that for the sake of your business it doesn't take much more than 15% market share before that becomes basically required for everyone with a podcast totally yeah i mean so in the, is this kind of the thing that keeps you 
interested in in maintaining your you know your role in this space you know having overcast i mean to some degree my main motivation with overcast is that i hate every other podcast app and so i want to i i want the best app to use for myself yeah <laughs> and so it's kind of selfish but but you know in the bigger picture when i started overcast i made a few decisions about it and was motivated by uh by the, the the same fear of this being locked down. Back then, I was I was afraid of the original Stitcher locking it down because Stitcher had something like five to eight percent market share back then, and that freaked me out. I'm like, wait a minute, they have this whole proprietary system in place that's kind of horrible and on a number of reasons, and they have that much market share. Mm. It's only so long before they're going to take over, and and then everyone will have to comply with their terms for their business, right? And so I created Overcast to be a mass market app, even though it isn't yet. But it is, you know, I feel like it's on the path there. Overcast, is, and you know, by by most market share numbers, my market share is something like two to three percent. Mm. So you know, you have Spotify at like fifteen or something, maybe even more. I'm at like two. I mean, that's not bad for one guy. That's <laughs> it's not bad, but but I'm also not gonna like like I'm not the one standing in the way of Spotify taking over the industry, right? Right? Like that's like it's gonna take more than me, a lot more than me for that uh but but i made i made a lot of decisions uh things like making the app free up front and figuring out some other way to make money that in 2014 there weren't a lot of other podcast apps that had that were that business model now there's a few more but because basically they had to because <laughs> for the same reason i had to like it's really hard to sell a paid up front app these days uh but you know i i meet right from the start i said i'm i'm targeting the mainstream so it has to be you know easy to use not not bogged down with like a million different options and checkboxes and features and everything and has to be you know mass market appeal and it has to be free right and it's only because of of those things that it has gotten even the market share it has but ultimately what podcasting needs to be to to stay relevant like this is there needs to be a lot of players like me there there needs to be a very diverse ecosystem of players and we are there right now like there are there is a very diverse ecosystem of players right now but it's still not diverse enough that like like you know some of the big publishers recently bought a competitor of mine um and so if they decided to lock down all their shows and have it only play in that app they could do that and they could you know really tip the balance of the landscape in a, in a weird way that that might have weird knock-on effects right mm. you know s- suppose spotify puts a bigger effort into this thing or gets even more success out of it and and they go from 15 percent, which they've gotten very quickly to 30 percent, mm. then they can do a lot of crazy things you know suppose i'm the only one holding holding the fort here <laughs> and and one of these companies comes and offers me so much money that it would be stupid for me to refuse it and i sell out which is entirely entirely plausible based on totally. your history marco <laughs> yeah that's that is entirely pl- well <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> it's it's very possible like i like the the ecosystem and the medium can't depend on like just me like and and they don't currently as i said like i'm i'm not that important currently but there needs to be so much diversity in the in the player ecosystem that there are no like one or two people that could be taken out or corrupted in such a way or have just different you know priorities set uh such that it would ruin what we have right do you think podcasting something i've always had an issue with with podcasts is the fact that they're called podcasts you know i don't know how you feel about this but 
at this point, like, can't we all can't we just call it all radio? Isn't that kind of what all this really is? <laughs> I mean, do you do you call your phone a telephone? I don't know. I mean, it, that's a bad example, maybe. But like, I mean, you call it you call it a phone, right? Yeah, but like you know, I mean, blogs are were a terrible name. Vlogs are even worse, and yet. You know, we we got past it. Yeah, I just think about, like, when I started this podcast back up, and, you know, I go to tell my dad about it, and he's like, well, what the hell is a podcast? Like, we still have some basic issues with uh, with podcasts becoming mainstream, and it seems like we're still kind of competing with, with video. We're still competing with uh, YouTube, and... I wonder kind of what the next big phase for podcasts is. Like, is, you know, after a certain point, are we even talking about podcasts? Or are we talking about, uh, you know, terrestrial radio uh, kind of going away and something new arising, right? As cars have cellular connectivity, as everything uh, just becomes data. I don't know. I mean, like, actually, one fear I have is self-driving cars. Because totally. if those become big, then all of a sudden you have a lot of people who can start looking at video screens while they're driving instead of instead of listening to things so that's that's not good well and that's actually something i was going to ask you about do you, do you do you see video as you know being the biggest competitor to to podcasts long term um that's a good question uh, ultimately I, I think that the biggest competitor to podcasts long term is music or silence mm. <laughs> because because <laughs> for the most part people don't for the most part listen to podcasts as the only thing their body is doing right they they listen to podcasts like no one like hits play and then just stares at the screen like and it's consuming all their senses they're just looking at the album artwork like that no one does that like that's that's not like that people listen to podcasts while they're doing other things most of the time those other things are occupying their visual senses yeah so, you know, whether they're walking or, you know, driving or maybe they're cleaning the house or who knows, like mowing the lawn, uh, doing a project, like whatever it is, people for the most part listen to podcasts while their visual senses and maybe their hands are occupied. Mm. So in that way, video doesn't really compete because we, I mean, at least in, in most times it shouldn't. Right. <laughs> Please don't. You right. Know? Um, because because usually you can't have your eyes staring at something like that at the same time. Like if you can watch something, you probably are watching something. <laughs> you know, like if, mm. that's probably not podcast time today. Like that's the, like we didn't lose that time of video. They are they always had it. We never had it, right? Yeah. So to a large degree, that, that I think that's that's fine. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I would never have predicted even where it is today. Like I, I would never have predicted that we made that we would make it that it would be as popular as it is today. Totally. So it's hard. It's hard for me to look at where any status quo at any given time and say, "Oh, it's definitely going to go up or down from here." Yeah, I mean, um, like I subscribe to uh, YouTube Red, or I guess it's called um, YouTube Premium now. I and so. and, and the, the only the only reason I subscribe to it at all is because you can you know fucking background videos and you can just listen to the just the audio. You know, so I, I often use YouTube in the same way that I would use a podcast app. There's tons of content that I love on YouTube, but I don't really care about seeing the video. Right. And I wonder how many people there are like me or if, you know, actually, no, overwhelmingly people would prefer to see video. Right. I think it really depends on like, again, like why or when or in what context you are consuming totally. this thing. Like, you know, like if you're sitting on your couch at night and, you know, chilling out and you want to watch some video, 
I don't think you're going to like minimize that and just then like stare at your blank TV or something like that's not going to happen. <laughs> right. and, and if you're if you're minimizing it to go, you know, take a drive and you're just listening to somebody talk, you're not at least you shouldn't be taking your phone out and be like, "Oh, let me watch this while I drive." Like that's so I, I feel like it, I feel like for the most part these are mutually exclusive. Right. Now, no, I I agree. I you know, and going back to the radio thing, it just I don't know. It it feels like that that might be the next big trans transgression for podcasts is like eventually kind of all audio uh content will kind of blur together. Uh you know, and you know the number one places that people listen to audio. You know, they're on commutes, they're going for a walk, or the car. And the car is huge. And I often think, you know, about you know, well, Apple, right, and their interest in the car. And you know, we've heard different things about whether or not there is or is not a ongoing car project in Apple. It, it certainly there lo- totally is. It, there totally is, right? Like there, there's still, <laughs> yeah, there's, like definitely is. Like Project Titan never really died. It kind of just evolved, and you know, they're yeah. basically just trying to keep it more secret. Um, but I, you know, I don't know. I there's just this question mark in my head. Um, I think that. The the number one thing that we have to fear as far as uh, large companies, you know, coming into podcasting and kind of messing up the works, um, it kind of it's kind of all on Apple. You know, they have the biggest directory, you know, and they have kind of the most incentive if they ever did want to pull that string, right? Um, and uh, you know, if if they are going to get into cars, it's like, you know, owning the radio would be pretty big. But although you made a really good point. That at that point we're talking about maybe autonomous vehicles and maybe people are just watching video. In which case we have a different problem. <laughs> well, in which case they're watching video on Apple devices. Totally, like they're, they're probably watching it on their phones <laughs> or on their iPads. Right. So like Apple has already won that battle. Or in the on the AR uh, glass or whatever the hell you know crazy thing we have by then. I still I I gotta tell you. I still don't see it for AR. I you, really like really? I this is not what we're talking about tonight. But no, like, we we can get into we can get into this. This is interesting. Yeah. I am thrilled to talk to you today about RX Bar. Now, if you're like me, you've probably tried a whole bunch of different protein bars that are on the market. Now, up to this point, I haven't really found one brand that I stick with. None have totally won me over as my go-to. That was before RX Bar. RX Bar is the real deal. These folks sent me all sorts of samples, and I have to tell you, I went through all of them very quickly. I found myself going to the store and buying like six or seven of these at a time. They're that delicious. It's because RX Bar uses real whole ingredients. They're transparent and upfront with you about exactly what you're consuming. They use egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture, and other delicious ingredients like unsweetened chocolate, real fruit, and spices like sea salt or cinnamon. There are 14 flavors such as peanut butter, which is my personal favorite, but they're all pretty darn good. Peanut butter chocolate, chocolate sea salt, blueberry, mixed berry, coconut chocolate, and more. And they even have a kid's line. As a parent, I understand that we often have to compromise when it comes to our kids snacking. But RX Bar wanted to provide a kid's option with no compromise. They're made of the same whole food ingredients, just smaller, softer, and in more kid-friendly flavors like peanut butter and jelly, double chocolate chip, and peanut butter chocolate. Both the kids and adult bars are gluten-free, soy-free, and dairy-free. No artificial colors, preservatives, or fillers. They're perfect for parents like me who need breakfast on the go or a commute snack. And they're perfect for kids who want a delicious lunchbox snack, or after-school snack, or anytime snack, really. RX bars are good for you, good for your kids, and I couldn't be happier having them as a sponsor this week. 
And check this out. For many bar listeners, RX Bar is offering you an exclusive pack of six adult bars and four kids bars so your entire family can get a chance to try these out. Visit rxbar.com slash menu and enter promo code menu for 25% off your first order. One more time, rxbar.com slash menu and enter promo code menu at checkout. Thank you so much to what might be our most tasty sponsor yet. And back to the show. Yeah, sure. I, I honestly like... I still don't see a killer app for AR and for for the technology to have existed for as long as it has and to and for no killer app to really have materialized yet is not a good sign. Mm. Yeah, but has the technology really existed because they, I mean, so we've had the technology in our phones for a very long time and actually I would argue that um increasingly AR is becoming a bigger thing on phones in ways that aren't it doesn't like beat you over the head. Instead, it's 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 stupid shit, right? Like Animoji or um, Instagram filters is a huge thing, right? Um, and you got silly stuff like Star Walk, you know, or whatever. And um, almost everybody uses that stuff. Uh, you know, if they're out looking at the stars or whatever, they want to know where a star constellation is. They'll take out their phone and they'll point it at the sky. Um, so I actually feel like AR is already kind of normalized. Uh, to a point that we can't even tell that it's becoming a really big deal. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I suppose I, I, you know a lot of this rests on like what what I'm considering as AR. What sure. You're, like, you know the definitions here. Well, like, let's define let's define it a little bit better. Like, what do you mean when you when you think AR? Almost anything Apple has demoed in a keynote that involves a big table. Mm. <laughs> Who has an empty table sitting around yeah. for this purpose? Um, and then and also anything that. People have thrown out there as like plausible things that AR glasses could give us, or things that Google Glass did. You know, back when it was a thing, it makes it so much easier to uh, go and go and catch Pokemon. Yeah, and the, and so that like it seems like AR has a few little novelties, like sure. like what Pokemon the, the way Pokemon uses it, and a few truly useful things like placing furniture in a room just to test out how how it might look in their room. Like that's cool. I get that, uh, but. Everyone seems to predict that AR has a much bigger future role mm. than that, and and I I don't see that. Like it, to me, it's 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 an interesting technology for these you know relatively few and relatively like secondary use cases, but I I just don't see a world in which AR becomes super big and and is is as big and and important as like our phones like i which is which is the, what a lot of people are predicting and i i just don't see it I, I don't see how we get from here to there when no one seems to have any of those ideas yet like when when new technologies become feasible and possible for the first time usually their killer apps are readily apparent right from the start. Like, it's really obvious right from the start, like, oh, my God, well, now that we have this, we'll be able to do this. Mm. And it's so good and so compelling. It's, you know, it's a killer app. It's, you know, it's really motivating and changes everything. AR has been around for a while now. And we don't have those yet. We don't, like, there isn't, there isn't one thing that everyone's like, oh, my God, this will change everything because AR will let us do X. Like that just that that thing hasn't happened yet. We have a bunch of smaller things. They're like, oh, that's kind of fun. That's kind of interesting. That's a that's a nice tech demo. Uh, but I I'm not seeing the the killer app that's going to change everything. So I take everything that you just said, 
And I would apply it to VR. I also would say VR, but that's less popular. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, which is super interesting, right? Because people still are, are you know, pounding on the table that VR is going to be huge. And I've been looking at VR forever. Um, like... Uh, my my family has a, a history in the arcade industry, and you know we had really cool VR machines back in the early nineties. Um, yeah, and it was good enough. It was actually pretty cool. Pretty much like the you know lower polygon count and all that stuff, right? But pretty much you were getting a very kind of similar experience to what you get when you put on a PSVR or whatever. Um, this stuff's been around for a very long time. It's been good enough for a very long time. It's even been like, you know, accessible in terms of price point, uh, especially at this point, right? Now you can stick your phone in a thing and, you know, all the sensors are there. Um, but there's all these like fundamental issues with VR that like have always been there are not going away <laughs> and there's still people pounding on the table saying no it <laughs> just you know, four or five more years and i'm like you know well we said that four or five years before that four or five years before that and i've been watching this stuff you know we went through virtual boy we went through uh mm -hmm. virtuality which was the arcade company the arcade company that put together these really cool machines um we've done this for a very long time it doesn't look like vr is ever gonna be hugely mainstream like at best we're talking about a situation where there's going to be really cool attraction pieces in really expensive places where you can kind of go on a journey or an experience but nobody really wants to spend more than 30 minutes doing that you know yeah it's vr is, is a great example of this because you know you're right like we've had it we've had vr now for long enough mm, that yeah. the that the the killer apps and that the really great games and experiences should be readily available and apparent to everyone but you know look at the last year you know what are the best games that came out in the last year how many of them are vr games right like what what if, if somebody is like i want to get into vr what's the best game for vr does anybody have a good answer to that i mean there are cool things you can do but it, it's it's just not terribly compelling to mainstream people right yeah and and you're right, like you know, th there are things about it that are just really impractical, or you know, kind of big barriers that you have to get over. You know, th just like the physical realities of it, um, you know, various things with motion and things like that. Like there's uh, wires, <laughs> hardware, yeah. and resolution, and nausea. Like there's so many possible issues and hurdles with VR. AR has a lot of those same issues. Like, it, it does. AR has. It, yeah. It's a little bit different, and the AR has all those issues with, with less of the fun because there's no games for it. <laughs> like this, but, so like <laughs> AR has even less upside, I think. But uh, but I think um, you know the, the, the AR you know, pitch so far, the theory has been it's more for like either productivity or kind of like general like general usefulness tasks um, rather than necessarily games. But like but still, I, I think we have a, a lot of the similar problems of like okay, we've had this technology now for long enough that really really great use cases should be apparent mm. it should be becoming mainstream already and it just isn't right and vr is the same way like vr vr consoles and headsets and everything are really pretty good now like yes there's a long way they can go to get better but they're good enough now that we should have a lot of like really compelling apps and games that are that are really taking off and that doesn't seem to be happening so i guess what i would argue is uh oh, well how, how okay so like how many people so Sony has done the best job with VR, and I really actually commend them. Um, they're the first ones that kind of have understood it. Yeah. Um, and they've been in that space for a very, very long time. 
Um, and they're the first ones to get like, okay, you actually really do need to control the whole stack. This is not a situation like you just go and you buy like a you know like TVs, right? You don't just go buy a TV and then it just works with whatever. VR is a very different thing. It's got to be fully integrated. You kind of need to control the quality of the software. You need to really control the quality of the experience. Sony's the first company that came along and said, okay, I think you know we we think we can do this. We're going to take our best stab at it. Um, but their best stab at it. Uh, I don't think has even moved over four or five million units, and it's been out for a while, um, and that that's actually huge. That's like the biggest success in VR ever, and I commend them. Bigger than the Virtual Boy, yeah, no way bigger than the Virtual Boy, uh, and I commend them. And I, you know, they've, they've done as good of a job as I think you can do, but I don't, I don't really see it um, getting a whole lot better. Uh, we might have a few more blips. We might get someone selling 10, 20 million of these things. But it's never going to be like a billion. You're never going to get a billion people plugged into VR. Or, you know, God help me, I hope we don't. But, but, yeah, me too. <laughs> right. But I, I, don't, I just don't see it happening, right? It's like families are always, it's always going to be an awkward thing for a family. You're never going to like strap your kid into VR and just be okay with <laughs> them being lost in vr forever and the kid's not going to do it anyway because like it makes most people sick you know to this day uh over 50 percent of people who get into vr for any length of time they get sick it's just so there's fundamental issues there um whereas with ar and i I guess it kind of depends on how you're choosing to think about it i think when a lot of people think of ar especially right now thanks to apple's demos with uh, blank tables um, they have this idea that we're, yeah, we're, we're you know, we're going to be playing tennis in AR and we're going to be doing these games and all these different things. Whereas I don't focus too much on that. I think that's just something fun that they do for keynotes. Um, the, it, it, the big picture is other stuff that's a little bit, um, it's a little bit more under the surface. Uh, things like what we're doing now with cameras, just in general. We are augmenting reality all the time just by taking a photo, right? There's all these software things that are going on just when you go to take a photo. Uh, and when you go on Instagram, you know, you got uh, endless people putting dog faces on themselves or whatever. Uh, and you've got, uh, you know, Snapchat and Pokemon Go. All of these things are way, way bigger than, you know, Sony's best attempt at at VR. (laughs) You know what I mean? So AR has, I I believe, already to some degree permeated the mainstream. The the question now is like, how much further can it go? And is there something that's specifically AR? Is there some kind of product down the line that can be huge? And I want to I want to kind of preface all this with something that you've said. Uh, many, many times is like we all have underestimated the phone, right? Like everybody, yep. everybody has underestimated the phone as the central device that people would be using. Um, you know, we all kind of got distracted with, you know, maybe VR or like the iPad or with the watch or whatever. Yeah. Tablets, watches, yep. 100%, right? Or, you know, um, even the evolution of desktop computers, all this stuff. But it turns out like all of these things. Everything that I can imagine currently um, that's going to come out, you know, say in the next 10 years, I can't imagine anything that's going to come out that isn't going to kind of orbit around the phone, at least as the main computational power, right? Or at least as the main the main place where you have all your stuff. Like, let's just imagine a world where everybody's got AR glasses. Well, you're still going to have a phone, right? You're still going to, like, want to... 
I just can't imagine a scenario in which people stop having slabs they put in their pocket that have access to all this stuff, right? All of those things said, <laughs> um, I, I, think, I think of AR as potentially being as big or if not much bigger than uh, you know maybe the watch, right? Which is something that or it, it didn't that's not going to replace the phone, hasn't replaced the phone, probably won't replace the phone, but it could orbit around the phone. Right, um, and it could it could eventually be a really big thing. I think if they can nail the technology to to the the glasses, right, or to windshields and cars that just show you, you know, exactly where you need to go via an arrow or or any number of things, uh, I do think AR will will permeate. I don't think it'll ever be itself as big as the phone, but I do think that AR will will evolve. I, I, like, I, I think AR has already been successful in a lot of different ways. Um, and I think we're going to see a continuation of that. I just don't think it's ever going to have the iPhone moment. I don't think anything is ever going to have the iPhone moment, right? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and look, and I think, you know, talking about AR as a feature of something else or AR as like an enabling technology to make something else better. Like your example with, you know, cameras using AR to, you know, map goofy skins on people or mm. just, you know, use depth sensing techniques to, you know, to, to make photos better. Like that, that I think, you know, that's clearly a win and we have that today and, you know, and, and that's, we're doing well with that. So good on them. But AR as like the headlining feature AR to as the thing that sells devices maybe or that becomes a device like the whole category of AR glasses being a potential thing I think has a lot of kind of like VR like a lot of like very fundamental like physical challenges that are going to make it really hard to make it really compelling for a lot of people totally and not to mention like societal challenges of you know just like that being acceptable of a thing and all sorts of you know various privacy and creepiness issues. We've all seen the we've all seen the video of uh, the the dystopian sci-fi future in which a guy is like using a dating app uh, in order to you know <laughs> figure out how 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 to you know best uh, get laid that night, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, there's there's a whole lot of problems if you try to th- if you try to imagine the future of basically the next version of Google Glass. Like, nobody actually really wants that. Like, that's that's not a very good idea. And also, the physical realities of it would be really cumbersome and tricky. Um, and I, and I, I do think, though, you're right, that if that is to be a product, it would obviously be a phone peripheral, you know, right. just like the smartwatches today. Smartwatches are really pretty terrible when they try to be independent from the phone. They They are really phone accessories, and and they are good at that, uh, and that is where they are going to remain for the foreseeable future, probably. Um, there, no one is no one is saying, you know what? My now that my watch has cellular, I'm just going to never use my phone again. Like, nope, that doesn't happen. Like, people think they'll do that, and they get the cellular watch and they try it, and it doesn't work that way because it isn't that good. And, and there's a lot that you're missing by not having your phone with you or not using your phone for certain things. Right. And so I, that's how I th- I see AR glasses. If that, if that's going to be a thing, like it's going to be very similar, which is going to be a very, very limited peripheral uh, that will still really serve your phone as its primary uh, thing. And you will still have your phone and they will not replace your phone. So the question is like, are there going to be enough compelling use cases for such a product? Right. That, that, that it would actually 
be not only a good idea to even release it in the first place, but that people would actually buy it in any reasonable quantity. And I don't see it. I I I I would guess that if if Apple would ever release AR glasses in 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 the way we're talking about them today, first of all, I think they won't. But if they do, I think it would sell worse than the watch. Interesting. Interesting. I think the watch would outsell it, no question. So you think they won't release such a product? I'm leaning towards no. Like it, 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 it's obviously something where like they're looking at it. It's obviously something, something where like they're they're testing things, they're building things, they're they're experimenting. They're they they might currently think they're developing that product, but I'm guessing it it gets canned before it gets released because it just unless there's some massive thing that we're all missing, mm. but pro- and and sometimes they surprise us, but like. Generally, they don't surprise us by breaking basic rules of physics. Like that's that's kind of that's hard to do, and so that tends not to happen. Uh, so I I don't think it's it's a real product, and and I don't think it will become one. Uh, hmm. But instead, I I think I think all this AR uh, research and development and effort is benefiting their other products a lot. It is benefiting the phone, which is their really main product. It is benefiting the phone's camera in particular, which is the phone's most important feature to a lot of people. Uh, so, and, and there are certain apps that are on the phone that make good use of it. So as, an, as a technology that supports their other products, yeah, it's, it's doing great already in that role, and it will keep getting better in that role. But as, a, as something to base an entire peripheral on in, this, in the form of AR glasses... I don't see that at all. I guess the way that I think about the entire problem, well, so there, I mean, yeah, there are obvious, like, it would just be really, really hard to do. (laughs) Number one, like, what is Apple going to do? Are they going to get involved in optometry, right? Like, because if if you're actually serious, if you're actually (laughs) going to get into this, um, you're like, there'd be this scenario where Apple stores, uh, you get vision tests at your Apple store to get fitted for for your Apple glasses. Yeah, because if they're replacing your glasses, they have to replace your glasses, right? (laughs) That's, That's a thing. I'll say this. I think that... Out of any company on the planet, uh, they are the most likely to get something like this even remotely correct. Um, if only because uh, just you just look at how much they they're owning silicon, they're owning uh, manufacturing, uh, they're way leaps ahead of of anybody just on the raw uh, hardware side of things. Like they're the only company I can think of that could potentially maybe release something like this. Um, but if I were Apple, like I'd be thinking about this as an opportunity because the internet kind of it did. I mean, it sort of passed them by at first in a way, right? Um, you know, they got into mobile me and all that stuff kind of late, and you know they've had varying degrees of success since then um, with, with all that stuff. Uh, you know, and I think they I think they look at it as this big giant opportunity. Like maybe this is the next thing after the internet, or maybe it's the evolution of the internet. Because if there, if it becomes true that the entire planet is populated with AR data and information and objects and all this like virtual stuff that augments reality, um, if there's even a possibility that that you know 
is a thing that's going to come to pass, I feel like that's what Apple is sort of preparing for. I feel like that's why they have decided, like, actually, we need to build the best maps service you know, on the planet. That's why we need to to do all these really kind of drastic things. Um, you know, we'll be pra- we'll be pragmatic in the meantime, and we're gonna you know allow all these other things. But actually, like this is what we're working on behind the scenes because we see something really big on the horizon. Um, at least, yeah, you know, I think that might be how they think about it. But you know, time will tell. Maybe. I mean, the other thing is like Apple might think that, but they also mm. might be wrong. Totally. You know, like it's like you know the the, the recent history of Apple uh, products. <laughs> you know, like it's it, it it has a lot of hits, but there are certainly some misses. Um, sure. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's very clear. Like you know, the watch is is a great example where it, this is it's such like a nice parallel category here. The watch really like stumbled badly out the door and was barely functional, and they basically have like stumbled their way through the dark trying to figure out like what works and what doesn't right out here in public in the open with the apple watch and have finally like in the last year or so have finally gotten it to a point where like oh this is actually a pretty decent device for purposes x y and z mm. but it yeah. took them like they basically like fell into it after a really horrible release and and really stumbling around and, and doing very bad things. Well, I I, I want to actually give them a little bit of credit here, if only because, um, well, one, I mean, they actually kind of own this space right now, right? So they did. Yeah, oh yeah, it's it's in a good place now. Yeah, but it, it started in a really bad place. <laughs> but I I think they kind of had the right idea at the beginning. They just didn't know how to necessarily integrate all of the ideas. They knew that it was going to be a health device. They knew that it was going to need a fashion angle. Like anything that you're going to wear, like the fashion angle of it was going to matter a lot. And I think that played into why Johnny Ive thought it was a great idea to release like a $10,000 <laughs> version of it. Um, oh. Because there's there, the fact is like, and it turned out to be kind of a bad idea, uh, but... There are certain people that, you know, they won't pay less than that for that kind of product, right? I mean, you know this as a watch guy. Um, so it, it may, there was a logic to it. By the way, I have, for the record, I am a watch guy. Right. I have met a lot of others. <laughs> I have met zero who have, who have bought or even considered buying right. the gold Apple Watch edition. I also have bought, I've, I've known zero who would ever say, I won't wear a watch that costs below X. Okay. Well, all right. Maybe I'm exaggerating <laughs> a little bit, right? But- well, this is like this is this person that like like people like us have invented in our heads. Like, oh well, there are certain people out there who they, they but like I've never met any of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. But there was like there was a logic string to it. You could kind of backwards engineer how they got there. Um, and it, it, you know, it turned out that some of those ideas weren't so great. Um, but the health stuff and the bigger picture stuff, they were kind of right about so you know and it's it's turned out to be a pretty darn successful product in the long run you know oh yeah but 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 i I would i would use the apple watch as a good example of why like just because apple today thinks something is going to take off and makes a product and launches it in the world doesn't mean that it will be good and then it will take off and that they'll be right about that yeah, although I mean they've kind of proven that it works, right? That the watch was like I wouldn't say that the watch was a bad idea or that they should have gotten should not have gotten into that space. Like it's clearly a a pretty good revenue generator for them and it's, you know, kind of slowly changing things in its own way. Oh, sure. But also like 
I feel like the like the, the watch was also not only did it have a, a horrible first release, but it also was grossly overestimated in importance by the sure. tech media and commentators like us. Like so many people were like, "Well, the watch is going to replace the phone." All right, it's simple. That is, we're going to have this all in reverse and just never. I yeah. never thought that it would replace the phone. I always thought of it as uh, a peripheral object, and I always thought of it as. Like the phone is so big that actually having peripheral objects that are also big <laughs> markets is actually a really good idea. Like the, the tech people are stuck on this idea. Well, I think they're finally starting to back out of it. But for the longest time, you know, after the iPhone, we were all so high on the iPhone and the phone and the, the the trajectory of the smartphone that we're all just like immediately like, well, okay, well, what's next? What's next? And you know, the watch was never going to replace the phone, right? It's it's so obvious. Um, just like you know, the iPad was always going to be a smaller market <laughs> than the phone. You know, it's it, it's it's obvious in retrospect. Um, and if the, you know, I think the big takeaway is that the phone is like here to stay, um, and will will continue to permeate uh, to you know, it's at whatever percent it is. Eventually, it'll be a hundred percent. Everyone is going to have a phone. Um, and these other things that are coming down the pike are, you know, it's going to, the phone is sort of the sun and you have all these planets that orbit it, right? I think that's kind of the the big picture of what's what's going to be happening. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And so I, I, ultimately, I think we're, we're mostly in agreement here about, you know, what AR will be. It's, you know, it's down to some of the details and, and some of like, you know, the numbers basically. But right, like, right. Ultimately, <laughs> like, yeah, like, like I... I think AR glasses could be one of those side businesses for the phone. Totally. But I don't see them replacing the phone or being bigger than even the watch. Like I, I see them I see them being a smaller side business than I think what everyone else is, is sure. expecting. I well, I think everybody needs to let go of this notion of anything replacing the phone. I, I just don't yeah. I don't and I have a pretty good imagination. It's like not a lack of imagination. It's just like pragmatically speaking, I can't imagine a future going forward until we get to something that can like jack into the back of your spine or some really scary shit i i can't imagine what what the heck is going to replace this device that we're we've all become so addicted to yeah it's it it, it really like you know I've, I've said this before like it the, the phone plays so well into like a sweet spot of physical nature of human beings and how like what we like to look at and do, what our hands can hold, what fits in our pockets or on our person or in our bags or like on our clothing. Like it is, it is in such a sweet spot. And then the amount of computing power you can fit into that, the amount of display you can fit into that is, it's just such this amazing sweet spot of all these different things that it's, I, I just, I don't see another form factor of a device taking off as well as the phone has as long as humans are like the size and shape that we are <laughs> right you know un- unless there's some ridiculous new technology that can dramatically change either power consumption which could affect device size um input technique which could affect you know keyboard size and touch targets and everything um or screen technology like it, you know if you can display you know a, a large bit of information without having a, a large physical screen and you look at ar like ar offers to do some of those things like it, it offers to do 
you know, to replace screen technology with something in your glasses that can project the screen that, that your eyes will see, but that isn't really there. Yeah. Uh, but then you start diving into like, okay, what, what's the actual technical reality of that? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's basically like, it's terrible. <laughs> right. And, and there's no, th- and there's nothing on the horizon that is even close to making it not terrible. And then it's like, okay, what about power? What about like, you know, battery needs of, of such a device or data needs or like what any, any of the things like, well, well hold on. That's going to require like a wire to your phone or some big battery on the back of your ears or something. It's like it's it, the technical realities of actually of actually doing these kind of things to re, to meaningfully you know be as good as the phone in glasses are, are so crazy. Totally, and I can imagine it, right? Like I could imagine. Okay, I put on a pair of glasses and a screen projects in front of me. And on that screen is like a, a computer that's actually being powered by the, cl- you know, in the cloud, right? Um, and, you know, that's always constantly being updated uh, on some server farm somewhere. So I never have to buy a computer again. I just have these AR glasses, <laughs> right? You know, you can imagine ways that this could be super exciting. Um, but like you said, we're just, there's just nothing on on the horizon that is remotely close to being able to deliver that. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't seem, and, and because like also keep in mind, like, you know, if you assume that, oh, maybe we'll have AR glasses that are, that are, that can be as good as our phones in 10 years. Well, in 10 years, our phones are going to be way better. <laughs> so, like, they, they don't have to just catch up to just to today's phones. They have to catch up to the phones when they come out. Yeah. <laughs> like, phones are always going to keep getting better, too. Right. And, and so, like, it's it, – this is why, like, I don't – like, one of the reasons why I don't see the watch replacing the phone is because of, the, you know, these, these physical realities. Like, it's a really tiny screen. It's really hard to read much on it, to see much on it, to have, a, a, you know – any kind of precise touch input on it uh it's also just hold hard to hold your arm up for a while you know yeah. that just doesn't isn't comfortable and also you have you know in the size of the watch you can only fit a battery that's like a tenth the size of the one on the phone and you can only fit a processor that can be powered by that battery so you're at like you know an order of magnitude less power less processing you know, ability and everything else and and so like that's always good like in 10 years the Apple Watch in your wrist is still probably only going to have a tenth the battery and a tenth the processing power than the new phone in your pocket, right? So, <laughs> right. Like, it's like that discrepancy will always be there as long as these physical form factors are roughly in the same categories as they are as they are today. And so, like glasses are going to be similar to a watch in terms of like power budget and and like you know and miniaturization needs totally. and it's so it's always going to be so much less than the phone in your pocket can be totally i completely agree something on a sort of smaller scale that reminds me of this is when everybody thought that uh, video games were going to be you know streaming right like uh again sony uh <laughs> kind of led the charge with this uh many companies tried to get into this this idea like oh we'll just start streaming video games it's way better than any any computer that you have we're we're powering it on our end and we'll just stream it but like it turns out that the reality of that is like you're actually dealing with the infrastructure of uh internet connections yeah but you're hugely variable and inconsistent it's hugely variable, inconsistent, and the technology like necessary, the, the pipes that need to be laid, it's just, it's just not there. And it's not going to be there anytime soon. And I think it's a similar problem here. It's just 
it seems like such a great idea. You can imagine the business. You can imagine how it would work and, and all these things. But, uh, yeah, sometimes um, technical realities are just technical realities. All right. Well, um, that's basically a show. I, I actually have one more question for you. Uh, sure. we'll, get, we'll get back to the podcasting stuff. Um, just a general way, what, what advice do you have for uh, any, any podcasters who are just getting started or for podcasters who've been at this for a while, um, you know, maybe they've maybe they've done like 300 episodes of their show that gets like 100 downloads an episode or something, something like that. They just can't find an audience. What kind of what kind of advice do you have for those uh, people just kind of trying to trying to get into podcasting? So I'll start with the the negative one first. <laughs> the you know for the people who have done 300 episodes and have not found an audience like. <laughs> You're probably not going to. It's right. simple as that. Like, mm. you know, it, good stuff tends to be found, right. and 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 if you if you don't find an audience after so long, chances are that's not going to be any different as you keep going. Yeah, I mean, in my case, it, it was like do 46 episodes. They they all suck, and then you wait five years and relaunch your podcast, and whoa, <laughs> now I know what I'm doing. <laughs> right and you're better now and you yeah. and you know you've honed your skills you are you know you are older and wiser and you have better things to say and, and so like you know that that all plays into it right totally if you're doing something that is just not getting picked up it probably isn't going to get picked up and and you can still do it i mean no one's preventing you from doing it but if you're trying to grow your audience and it's not happening doing the same thing over and over again is probably not going to do it for you right. um uh you know try try something else <laughs> basically <laughs> right. and, and it might be that you're doing something to nobody and it may be what you're doing is good and no one's finding it yeah but the way that you are marketing or spreading your show or not marketing or spreading it is also part of what you're doing so like you you might find that like well it turns out that like i'm making a really good show but because i have no following on social media, no following on the web, no nobody like looking at my stuff. I haven't tried advertising or spreading the word for anybody else. Like if you if you haven't spread the word anywhere and have no audience to do that with, it's going to be hard. And so you can change one or two things. You can change the content that you're making or you can change the way you are spreading or not spreading it. Mm, um, yeah. and you know changing the content is generally easier uh, because you know spreading like if you have to do things like like pay to advertise your show somewhere to get listeners, you can do that. In fact, I make part of my living doing that now, like selling those totally. ads now in Overcast. You can do that, but that's a very expensive way to grow an audience. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's a much a much cheaper option is to make content that people will spread on their own. Uh, you know, that's that's how most podcasts do it, and that's how I'd recommend it if you can. Um, so the positive side of this advice that you're asking me to give <laughs> is, is to, the, to the, the first half of your question, which is, what would I say to somebody just starting out? Um, the biggest thing I would say is there's a lot of, well, I'd say two things. A, there's a lot of cynical people out there who say we have enough podcasts of type X. Usually yeah. it's like, you know, men talking about tech, right? Yes, there are a lot of podcasts about men talking about tech. There were also a lot of podcasts about men talking about tech when I launched my podcast, which is men talking about tech. Mm, yeah. And, this podcast is often men talking about tech. There's totally. lots of po- and this podcast just launched like not that long ago, right? So like, well, relaunched. Like, there's of if I look at the list of shows I subscribe to in Overcast, most of them are shows that didn't exist five years ago. Right. Many of them are shows that didn't exist one year ago. 
And so even if you think you're going into a category that is full, or if somebody tells you, we don't need any more of X, you know, you should, no one should be making new shows of this type, and that happens to be the type of show you want to make or that you can make really well, don't let them talk you out of it. Just All try right. it. Yeah. You know, because like, like the, the market is never done. Like there's always people looking for new things, and there's always... A, you know, a big appetite for some of the, you know, some of the more popular types of podcasts. And so, you know, don't let anybody talk you out of your category. That That's part number one. And part number two is understand audio as a medium mm. as much as you can. And, and you don't have to be like a total pro sound engineer, but respect the medium. Like when podcasting first, first became, you know, was first growing and first became a big thing. Uh, up until I would even say like two years ago, it was kind of cool for uh, podcasters to act like they didn't care or didn't know about audio stuff. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't, I, I don't, I don't need this to sound good, or you know, it's it's it's, it's just a podcast. You know, like, quote, you quote just a podcast, mm. and and like it was kind of like it was considered like uncool to to some degree to some people to to like to know about it or to care about how you sound or your equipment or anything else. And it was almost like it was it, like the cool people were too cool to care about audio stuff, mm. and that's just sabotage of your own show. Like that's that's not like a it's no longer cool, <laughs> and and b if you don't familiarize yourself with base, it's like if you're writing a blog and every post is riddled with typos. Yep, it's going to be really hard for you to really get an audience that respects you. Yeah, you can get some people like some people won't care. But that's going to severely hinder your growth, and the and how seriously you are taken in the industry, and 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 how and the perception people have of the quality of your show and the effort you're putting into it. Yeah, and that was and you could get away with that for a while in this business, but because now there's so many well produced shows, if your show is like really sloppily made or really hard to hear what you're saying because of some audio challenge that you didn't fix or that you can't fix people are a people are going to judge you for it and it's going to be harder to get that audience and b people are mostly going to switch away because there's better stuff to listen to now so like yeah i don't need to listen to a show that has horrible audio that is really hard for me to hear in my car because there's a lot of other shows i can hear in my car that are that sound just that sound great because they're made a little bit better so respect the medium in the sense that it's not cool to say that you don't know what you're doing anymore that's all that's about as cool as a writer saying i don't know how to spell Right. Like that's like that's not like if you if you do, if you so if you're so disregarding of the medium's realities, that's how you want to be about it. You should be making podcasts in the first place. And the market will quickly tell you that. Mm, yep. Yeah. No, I think that's all really good advice. I think the number one thing that I would say, um, you know, uh, I mean, I've I've hell, I'm the guy who just tweeted the other day like. Oh, there's kind of enough Apple podcasts out there. I'm not going to focus on Apple so much anymore. Um, you know, we we've all been there. It's fine. Yeah, right. Well, and and it's kind of true to some extent. But like for me, they're like the um the reality is I'm not actually telling people like don't go make a podcast about Apple. Hell, uh, the other day I had an idea for like. <laughs> <laughs> After I tweeted that, I actually know a way that I could do just a strictly Apple podcast, and it would be pretty good. Um, but no, but like for me, it's just like whatever turns me on, right? Like whatever I, I'm interested in, and like for me, it's just a it's a process of always learning and always being kind of open. Um, and when someone tells you that something sucks or like there's something you can improve, listen to them. 
you know, like that, that's been the number one thing for me. Um, all of the criticism <laughs> that we received on the on the original like forty six run episode of the menu bar, that stuff stuck with me. And five years later, uh, I came back and realized like, okay, all right, I this is how you do this. Like, I'm actually going to listen to all the all of that criticism this time. Um, so be, you know, I would just say just like be open and um, don't get too distraught if you fuck up. Just like you know, get back get back on the horse and just keep at it. And don't be afraid to rip things up and change things when necessary. Um, and also don't have shitty artwork. <laughs> there's, no, there's just no reason. There's no reason to have shitty artwork. There are so many, like, you could just, like, download uh, Canva on your iPhone and, like, <laughs> just take a template and just, like, you know, change it a little bit. And I promise you, you'll end up with something okay. You know, there are, there are so many people that I see that start podcasts and out the gate, they have terrible artwork. Um, they're totally unfocused shows, you know, and uh, it's <laughs> I, I just don't understand it, you know, and people yeah. don't have time for it because there are because there's such an abundance of content. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and it, it isn't to say that your first show is, needs to be perfect because your first show is going to suck. Like, no matter what, it's, your first show is going to be terrible. But, you know, also it's going to have a small audience in all likelihood. And so that is kind of a blessing at the beginning because you can kind of figure out how to do this better when your audience is still small. Yeah. And then if you get like an opportunity to get more people, like if somebody, you know, popular links to it or mentions it, like, then by the time that happens, maybe you are less sucky at it, <laughs> and, and you know have a better chance of retaining those people who who come to who come to visit. You know, and that stuff can only happen if the content is actually good, if it's actually interesting, right? Like, yeah. you know, pe- people people share stuff when they genuinely are like, "Wow, this is pretty cool. I'm gonna actually share it with some people," and that's the best kind of marketing you can possibly do. Um, like, I've done zero marketing on this show, and it's almost it's been a hundred percent word of mouth, you know. And I I get random emails from people saying, like, like I just got one the other day that was like blew my freaking mind. Uh, you know, they're saying, "Yeah, you know, I listened to the menu bar. Uh, I started from episode one." And, you know, this show, like, saved my life. I, I binged the whole thing. Like, finally, there's, there's the, like, the, you and Andrew's perspective on stuff. Like, I, it's totally like me, you know? And it's the way I think about stuff. And it just blew my mind. I'm like, really? <laughs> this is, you know. But it's, it's people like that that are going to go and tell 10 other people who might tell, you know, their friends and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I would just say have good content. Do what actually turns you on if you're 300 episodes in on your podcast it's only getting 100 downloads an episode um you're not doing what turns you on you're not doing what you think is what you what you know what i mean like you know you know people instinctively know themselves it's like if you're doing it at that point you're doing it just as a hobby or because it's like habit at this point also like you know like you're focusing a lot on you know you, you said the word content a lot but i, I think it's also worth clarifying that like yeah podcasts are about people first and content totally. second oh absolutely personality right yeah like you wouldn't believe like how how many of of like our listeners to my various shows aren't officially interested in the topic the show is about mm. but listen because of the people like one of the shows i do is called under the radar it's a programming show it's for ios developers mm-hmm. and a lot of people i hear from 
listen who aren't programmers. Oh, I'm one of them. They just yeah, they just like <laughs> us or they're listening for other stuff. Similarly, like like you know, we'll have people. We I, I do a show with my wife called Top Four, where we like rank our favorite things in different categories. And we will have we have so many people who listen to every episode, even if like you know, if we're doing like a category on like you know jelly beans and they don't like jelly beans but they'll listen anyway because <laughs> they just like us like yeah that's so much of podcasting about is about that and that's one of the key disconnects or differences at least between the giant world of the long tail of the rest of us and yeah. the handful of big producers who make the very popular shows the very popular shows have a lot less of that personal appeal to them because they're mostly just they're mostly scripted and they're written by you know other writers on staff, and and the host is simply reading, reading a script, and it's produced with all sorts of different clips and interviews and things. Like that. And so like it, it makes it so that you don't feel like you're sitting around hanging out with your friends the yeah. way you do when you listen to a, a more casually produced show like this and like this you know the stuff I make. Like w- when you when you listen to those, like people feel like they know you, mm. and that affords you a lot of benefits. First of all, they become much more loyal listeners. They also listen to your sponsor reads a lot more closely, which <laughs> helps you monetize the show and fund your work. And right. also, like, they feel like they know you, so that you you build up a sense of trust in them. So, you know, they, they're loyal to you. Like, if, if you ask them for something, if you have to ask for, hey, support me on Patreon, or I'm coming to this city, I'm going to do a live show, I'd love, love you came. Or if you say something like, hey, you know, please donate to this cause I like, whatever it is, like... When you ask people to do something, if you're asking a favor of them, they are way more likely to do it when it's that kind of like casual show, like where you're just talking as a human being, uh, because they will they will really know you a lot better than than somebody would know you if you just wrote a blog, or you know would know you if you did a podcast where everything is produced and and you know you're you're just reading a script. Like it's a different it's a very different medium when when you're just a person talking off the cuff, unscripted. And it's wonderful. People love it. And so it, the, the personality that you can show, the humanity that you can show, is way more important than the content. The content is what gets people to show up, to, to basically come in the door. Yeah. But the personality is what keeps them there if they're going to stay. 100%. Totally agree. I think that's extremely, uh, I think that's all extremely good advice for anybody that's either you know wants to get into podcasting or you know anybody who's been in this for a while maybe they're getting distraught i think uh those are all really good things to keep in mind all right well i think that's a show marco um is there anything Sounds anything good. any anything you want to plug uh you know i don't know the what, you got the new version of overcast <laughs> yeah overcast is i'm at version five now i've been doing congratulations this a while now. <laughs> yeah thank you and uh watch transfers almost work reliably and <laughs> yeah, I, uh, overall, version five has been a, a pretty pretty good release, pretty solid, pretty well received. So go check it out, Overcast.fm. Cool. And you're also on top four and uh, under the radar. And... Yep, top four under the radar and accidental tech podcast. All right, awesome. All right, well, thanks, Marco. It's been been a blast. It's been uh, <laughs> kind of gone a little bit all over the place, but it's I think it's been awesome on this show. <laughs> Never. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me back. All right, cheers.